This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to researcher Blake Vincent. He's also the co-founder of thefoldergap.com. Today he's going to be talking to us about the so-called ISIS-K that we've been hearing about in Afghanistan, specifically since they launched twin suicide bombing attacks on the Kabul airport. Blake is going to break it all down to us and explain exactly what the Islamic State cell in Afghanistan, ISIS-K, actually is. Support us at patreon.com slash popularfront. First of all, let's talk about the uh, the ISIS-K suicide uh, bombing on the Kabul airport. That was only like just over a week ago now. Um, that's when, you know, the media started kind of talking more about this ISIS-K branch in Afghanistan. Um, maybe just take us um, back to the, the, the attack and explain what happened. Right. Um, so we had asked the, the Taliban to create uh, a perimeter around the airport. Um, where there were a bunch of Afghan citizens uh, waiting to be evacuated. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of speculation as to why uh, security was as loose as it actually was and how that was even able to happen. Um, so I, I don't, I don't want to get into um, making any accusations, um, but security was loose around, enough around the airport uh, for that attack to even take place. Um, and in the process, uh, uh, 13 U.S. service members and, and uh, I think 169 Afghan citizens were uh, murdered in the process. It was a very unfortunate situation. Um, preventable. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so, so ISIS-K, they managed to get in there. They launched two um, suicide attacks and then all of a sudden everyone was like, who is ISIS-K? I mean, as we were just saying um, before we hit record, I mean, on Popular Front, we were talking about ISIS-K in 2018 even, but still people are saying, wow, it's this new invention. It's not a new invention. It's been here for a while, right? Um, just to explain to us, what is ISIS-K? Right, and uh, and just to point out, ISIS K is is a bit of a, nis a misnomer. Yeah. Um, as ISIS stands for Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, and K being Khorasan Province, which is uh, and a term from antiquity uh, uh, referring to uh, northeastern Iran, Afghanistan, and a little bit of Pakistan. How did they originate? Where do they start? I'd say that the idea of of uh, Islamic State in Khorasan province um, originated from the idea of, of the Taliban opening up to negotiations with the Afghan government back in 2013. It wasn't anything formal back in those days. Um, in fact, it wasn't until really 2014 un until um, the Islamic State name really started to like coalesce in these breakaway groups. Um, but some of the earliest defectors were from uh, from Al Qaeda and um, the uh, Pakistani Taliban. Um, 
one of the original uh, defectors from Al Qaeda was actually uh, Makhdizi's brother, who was, um, uh, you know, an, an ideologue from uh, uh, from Al Qaeda, um, and and actually one of um, uh, Al Zarqawi, the, the founder of ISIS, mm. uh, mentors in prison in Jordan back in the nineties. So throughout 2014, uh, as as the Islamic State was gaining traction in Iraq and Syria, back then really only known as Islamic State in Iraq, um, and not really professed to be the Islamic State yet, uh, they were still releasing a, a good amount of um, propaganda via the, the internet. And... Um, uh, uh, Taliban breakaway groups, Al Qaeda members, and uh, members of the uh, the Pakistani Taliban, the Tariki Taliban, uh, were were seeing all of this media coming out of uh, the area in 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 Iraq and Syria, and going like, I think that's what we need here, um, because back in 2013, uh, uh, Mullah Omar who would later die and we wouldn't know that until 2050. And he was saying, you know, we should start negotiations or at least start thinking about it. And, uh, that wasn't really, uh, that wasn't really uh, going well with, with a certain more extreme, uh, breakaway groups. Um, so at the same time, uh, disgruntled Taliban commanders and their men defected to the IS movement. Um, and one of the, one of the, uh, bigger attractions to that was definitely higher wages. Um, the The Taliban wasn't really paying their men that well, and in a lot of ways, um, the the attraction was getting paid was to carry out jihad and get paid for it. Because on the other hand, it was just sort of a you know the the Taliban is a domestic political, albeit terrorist movement. Um, and the, the reward in, in and of itself for that was to have uh, a Afghanistan under um, Sharia law. But uh, there were certain break, breakaway groups in the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and the, and the Pakistani Taliban that were really not down with the idea of um, compromising. Ideologically, then, how does ISIS-K and the Taliban differ, would you say? Well, like I was saying, um, the Taliban is a domestic uh, political movement. Um, and that is actually how we, as, as the United States and the Western world, um, uh, interact with them. Um, and I, ISIS and the Islamic State and, and their, their branch in the Khorasan province, um, they are an international Islamist terrorist group. So their aspirations uh, inherently bring a, a, a split to um, their approach uh, to, to implementing um, their different forms of Sharia, you know, one being more intense than the other. Um, you know, the, the Taliban is known for um, carrying out punishments that are very severe, you know, amputations and stuff like that. Um, not so much uh, beheadings under uh, Mullah Omar. Um, it wasn't really until um, Hibatullah Akunzara, <laughs> sorry, um, where you saw more extreme uh, violence carried out by the Taliban. Um, 
but I'd say I'd say one of the 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 big differences between uh, the two groups is is that um, and and one of the appeals that br that brought a lot of uh, members into ISIS K uh, was the fact that um, they will not compromise with the West. the The Taliban has has really taken steps, um, or at, at least by face value to to make compromises with the west at this point you know there it's it's really it's really a facade more than actual practice um but the the fact that they were even meeting um with uh with western diplomats in doha uh in the last few years is is really emblematic of of some of the key differences between um isis in in afghanistan and, and the taliban Right, and what kind of capabilities does ISIS K actually have? ISIS ISIS uh, membership in Afghanistan has really fluctuated uh, massively, um, and between 2014 and and today, um, there's a lot of like uh, there's a lot of arguments over whether you know they've had. 5,000 members back in 2015, which is uh, more of a consensus. And then like in 2018, some people say that uh, they had, you know, 600 to, to 800 members in the group. And then other people are saying that after um, the, the major offensive by the United States in 2017, it kind of uh, ramped up their recruitment and, and uh, um, gave them access to a lot more people. And people say, you know, upwards of, of 5,000 members. Um, yeah. I did want to talk about um, a little bit more of the history. Yeah, sure. If we can. Um, so just, just their, their recognition uh, by Baghdadi. It was, I think, January 10th uh, in uh, 2015 where Baghdadi uh, did recognize uh, the the group as part of um, as part of ISIS, and uh, a few weeks later, a uh, former uh, Tariki Taliban Pakistan commander Khan uh, Saeed uh, became its leader. Um, and after that, other TTP commanders uh, followed suit and pretty much ceded uh, uh, TTP control of the federally administrated tribal areas, the FATA, which is a, a western sliver of Pakistan, basically de facto to, to ISIS-K, or ISK influence. Um, and at that point, um, provinces along the border with, with Pakistan and the, the FATA region, such as uh, Kunar and uh, Nangahar, uh, soon joined. And uh, Several ISIS cadres and cells cropped up in uh, Jazjan, Halmand, and Farah, and Zabul, um, which sort of seem like very, uh, very um, distant regions. Um, but I, that's that's just kind of how it turned out. But the 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 major concentration of ISIS K in Afghanistan did. Uh, coalesce around Kunar and Nangahar province, uh, which is right on the border with uh, with Pakistan. 
Um, so they were very much all over the country, but especially uh, near the Pakistan border. Um, and civilian populations were um, very forcefully put under ISIS-K influence and control in, in those provinces. Um, I, not, not to say that uh, populations weren't forcefully put under Taliban rule in, in many places and, you know, especially now. Um, but ISIS-K was seen as a foreign force because a lot of uh, members, a lot of the founding members of, of ISIS-K uh, were former members and former commanders of, of the Pakistani Taliban. Um, so isis ISIS in Afghanistan like to say that they were uh, that they were a domestic force. They were a force from within Afghanistan, um, but really, when um, when local people were interviewed about ISIS presence uh, in their villages, they were saying, "No, no, these are these are foreigners. These are these are Uzbeks. These are Pakistanis." And and there was you know a, a decent sprinkling of former. Afghan Taliban um, and and other uh, Afghan nationals, but they were, they were definitely seen as an outside force. Um, but there are other other supporters included the Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan, um, Al Ansar ul Khalifat wal Jihad, uh, Pakistani Jundala, and Lashka e Islam, um, and those are mostly. Um, or rather all uh, foreign backers or, or uh, members that eventually were absorbed into ISK in Afghanistan. Right, but the, the Taliban have been fighting with them as well, right? Absolutely. Like against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, what, what ended up happening is that with a lot of the, um, the tension within the Taliban itself with, uh, with the, the fact that there were negotiations happening um, between the West uh, and the Afghan government and the Taliban, that coalesced into breakaway groups uh, throughout Afghanistan. So in the West, uh, you had um, Mullah Rasul and Mullah Dadullah. Um, and those groups in uh, those breakaway groups from the Taliban in, in the, the western part of the country were a mixture of Afghan nationals, Taliban breakaway groups, and, uh, and Uzbeks, which would come from the, uh, the IMU, which is the Islamic movement of, of Uzbekistan. Um, and in reaction to this like sudden and, and widespread uh, epidemic of, of like Taliban breakaway groups, um, pledging allegiance to ISIS, you had uh, the Red Unit, uh, which is a, a, a Taliban-like special force um, that dealt with uh, breakaway groups and then eventually specifically uh, ISK. So they were, they were deployed to um, deal with ISK in um, mostly uh, Farah, um, Helmand and uh, Zabul provinces, which are sort of, um, well, Faran and Helmand provinces are in the, the southwest of the country, and Zabul is in the southeast. Um, the, only, the only province that makes uh, 
the three provinces discontiguous as Uruzgan, which is sort of in the center of the country. Um, and for a while, uh, ISK was using their, their positioning in, in Zabul province to um, basically take control of the highway that connected uh, Kabul with the rest of the country. Um, and that was, that was a major hindrance to um, uh, Taliban control in, in, that, uh, in that region. Um, and so the, the, the red unit was sent to, uh, to take care of that, that issue. How connected is ISIS-K, Islamic State in Afghanistan, how connected are they to you know, ISIS as we know it in Iraq, in Syria? Well, I mean, I, I think one thing to, to understand about the ISIS movement, I guess, is, is that there is um, an ISIS or an Islamic State branch pretty much anywhere where you can find um, uh, extreme uh, Islamist jihadist uh, groups. So you have... Uh, groups in Southeast Asia, you have groups in Northern Africa, you have groups in, in the Caucasus, um, and they pledge their allegiance to ISIS, and, and ISIS you know, will recognize that. Um, but that doesn't necessarily always mean that they are very tightly connected. Um, we can uh, take an example of, of Al-Shabaab. You know, they are definitely... Um, focused upon in, in ISIS media releases and ISIS will claim uh, their violence and their victories as their own. Um, but on the other hand, you do have ISIS-K and, and they, are, they are definitely known to be um, more in the pocket of, of, uh, of the Islamic State um, as, we, as we know it. Um, Back in 2014 and 2015, there was um, a, a pretty great uh, influx of, of foreign fighters into uh, into Western Pakistan and and uh, Nangarhar and Kunar provinces, and so that was a, a direct consequence of <clears throat> of of uh, ISIS Central, I guess you could call it, um, yeah. sort of seeding. Uh, uh, influence and and fighters into into a region where where they saw fit. Right. Um. So obviously this is ISIS K. Then there was a situation where there was the suicide bombing. Now there's even been kind of murmurings that various Western militaries will possibly team up with the Taliban to fight ISIS-K. Then there was some US airstrike that was meant to be targeting ISIS-K, but ended up just killing a whole family, basically, killing Afghan children, civilians, everything kind of typical. Um, how serious is ISIS-K? Do, do you think it's being blown out of proportion a little bit or what? I do. I do think that ISIS, that, that uh, ISK is being uh, blown out of proportion in Afghanistan. I think at this point... Um, they are trying to uh, project an era of, of relevance, and that's what the attack uh, at the uh, airport in Kabul was. Um, there was definitely a point at which, in, in which um, they were a much larger threat, uh, where the, the Taliban 
and and ISK were actually fighting on the ground. There there were you know thousands of ISK militants in Afghanistan that were fighting for territory. Um, but ISK doesn't really have territory in, in Afghanistan anymore. They're very much underground, um, but they, they are continuing to uh, plan and carry out high profile attacks. So they're, they're technically still dangerous. You know, they, they carry out attacks that, that, I mean, at this point have killed at least um, 190 people at, in, in one go. Um, but over the past few years, in in 2019 2020 2021 they've carried out attacks where you know 12 20 40 people um are killed at a time so it's not it's not like uh they're fighting for territory anymore they're fighting for relevancy um and the the people who suffer for the the fight for relevancy are are slightly different um, than, than fighting on the ground against the Taliban um, or the United States. Because uh, in, in this case, it's, it's more uh, everyday Afghans uh, who, are, who are dying as, as, a, as a consequence of uh, ISK violence. Right. So going forward, do you think then that all of this kind of talk of ISIS-K was warranted? <laughs> um, I, I think that we should acknowledge events as they happen. Um, but the fact that it was blown up in the media in, in the way that it was, as if, you know, the, the uh, U.S. Moab bombing in, in 2017 wasn't a direct consequence of, of the, the fight against ISIS in Afghanistan and as if there, there's something very new and something very pressing, I think that was unwarranted. I think that the media could have provided a lot more context. I think, I think President Biden himself, in, in addressing uh, the attacks, uh, he, he could have done it much differently um, because he, he himself made it sound like a new threat. It might have been new to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think every hour that passes is fucking new to him, but yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think that it's, it's complicated wherein we should be able to acknowledge um, events as they happen, and it was an attack carried, up, carried out by ISK, or ISIS-K, or whatever you want to call them. Um, but the fact that we have this uh, collective amnesia about what's going on in a, in a region where we've been at war for 20 years is just very strange. I even saw the other day an article um, reminiscent of the who is ISIS-K, what is ISIS-K, which was even part of the, the, um, my article's title. There was, there was an article talking about who is the Taliban and why should we, why should we be concerned uh, about their their role in, in in Afghanistan, and I just found that astounding. What like a new article? Yeah. Jesus Christ! You <laughs> yeah. just lost the war to them, and people are going, "Who are they?" It's yeah. sad, actually. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's just the fact that it's become so commonplace that the, the war itself has sort of faded into the background. Um, and it's only every once in a while that we have these like big high profile flashy news articles, such as, you know, the, the, the mother of all bombs being used um, in 2017 or, or the most recent uh, ISK attack at the, the airport in Kabul. It's, it's, you know, we, we get these big news flashes, people, create a big hubbub around them and then it just sort of fades into the background and it it really doesn't stay relevant in uh in the public's mind uh, which is unfortunate because you know there there are people like you and me and that that watch this stuff happening on a daily basis and and we don't forget yeah neither do the people that get fucking killed by these groups either um yeah it's it's fucked up no it is it is it is like Look, I, I know not everybody has the time to, like, read up on war stuff and whatever, but, like, I mean, Jesus Christ, there are lads getting sent from your country to fight in these wars, and people are still going, who is it? Who is the Taliban? I don't know. It just just seems weird to me. Um, another thing that seems kind of outrageous now, now we've been speaking about it is the fact that there are Western countries that have come out and said, yeah, we might actually help the Taliban fight ISIS-K like there just seems no need for that it seems ridiculous what do you think um I think that that is a, a giant risk to take yeah uh mostly because ISK has really never been a direct threat uh to to western countries the U.S. I mean even even countries that get struck like like France and the UK uh by by ISIS attacks or ISIS inspired attacks. That's just what they are. They're ISIS inspired attacks. Um, for the most part, you know, they're not sending people over from, from Corazon province to, to go bomb someone in the, in the United States. They're depending on people who have either returned from conflict, uh, to carry out those attacks or, or people that are, um, that are just starting to, uh, get acquainted, uh, with this, uh, with extremism where they are. Mm. So I think that taking the risk of using the Taliban as a proxy against ISIS-K is just, it, it, it doesn't need to happen. <laughs> it doesn't need to happen. And also who's to say that the Taliban is going to, uh, is going to give us correct information. You know, there, there's absolutely the possibility that uh, the Taliban uses um, uh, Western uh, military might for their own benefit. And, it, you know, to be fair, using it against ISIS-K would be to their benefit, but I, I can't say for certain that they would be truthful about that 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And there's also a situation where um, I know that sometimes the Taliban just let ISIS-K members go. There, there, was, um, there was a guy that I know that actually ended up interviewing some like ISIS-K 
and they were they were like in the in the custody of the Taliban. They'd found them. They had a short battle, arrested some of them. Some of them, I'm sure, were like executed. But some of the kind of lower level guys, the Taliban just said to them, "Look, do you promise to stop this?" And they're like, "Yeah, we do." And they're like, "Okay, off you go." Like I'm not bullshitting you. Like this actually happened. This guy I know, a very reliable journalist, was with them when it happened. And you know, they kind of sent sent them off. They took their guns from them. And they're like, "Right, off you go." And it's like, well, they're, you know, the idea that you just trust these guys to go, you know what, we'll stop now. Like, it's just, it doesn't seem like there's much organization there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like it also might be the idea of amnesty might might be part of uh, setting uh, former or current <laughs> ISIS uh, members, letting them go, um, where, you know, we're the Taliban. We're showing you compassion. Uh, please don't, you know, <laughs> please don't be ISIS anymore. Goodbye. It's irresponsible, and I don't, I don't really know if they're being altruistic with in in taking that action. Um, but yeah, that, that's I, I can't really say, you know, here or there um, if if they're doing that to, you know, release more chaos and and therefore, um, sort of getting to project more power, you know, telling the people of Afghanistan, hey, we're saving you from ISK, uh, you know, allow us to be in power and, and we'll... Uh, ironically enough, that that's a very Western thing to do. <laughs> you know, like, there's a threat. I mean, as soon as it's yeah. like, oh, we're, we're tanking in the polls, let's have a war. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of a similar thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we also saw that in, uh, in Syria, where, yeah. where Assad... Um, you know, he's, he's letting a bunch of known extremists go um, so that he can say, oh, there's a bunch of uh, ISIS members on the loose. There's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of jihadists on the loose. Got to got to take care of them. Yeah. And then now you have the fucking narrative where people are like, yeah, Assad defeated the jihadists. It's like, mate, he let them out. Like, you know what I mean? He, he set his own house on fire for fuck's sake. Um, is there anything else you want to you want to talk about um, in regards to ISIS K? I guess uh, part of the, the the research that I was doing um, about a year ago, uh, my my concern was um, as the negotiations between the Taliban, the Afghan government, and the United States got a little more serious and got a little more detailed uh, with. Um, with what the stipulations for peace were and everything and the compromises that the, the Taliban uh, was um, <laughs> promising to make at the time, obviously not carrying through. Um, what would that do for ISK recruitment? Um, and I don't really think it had a, a large effect on, uh, on ISIS recruitment in Afghanistan. Um, however, it did influence the amount of high-profile attacks that occurred. Um, a, a year ago, I was I was very concerned that it would uh, influence uh, an uptick in recruitment um, from various extremist groups in in the uh, in the region. Some that are you know classically predisposed to uh, be absorbed into ISK or or uh, you know just everyday uh, Afghans like looking, looking to, uh, you know, 
get a semblance of, of control over their country. Um, but it, it really turned out that it was uh, the, the effect of the, the, um, the peace talks and the negotiations was really uh, just sort of a, a just an ISK really grasping at straws in, in, in terms of um, uh, high profile attacks. Um, you know, tens of people would die at a time for what? You know, they don't, they don't have uh, territory to, to, to gain. You know, they've, they've been pushed out of, uh, you know, everywhere where they had a stronghold, you know, even, even in the, uh, the east of the country along the Pakistani border. You know, they're, they're completely pushed out of their enclaves. They're very much pushed underground. So I think that one thing that we will see is ISK continuing to carry out um, uh, high-profile uh, high casualty attacks and and very very pointed and direct attacks on uh, Afghan officials or former Afghan officials and uh, now that the Taliban is is uh, taking control of the country um, we'll see a lot more um, assassination attempts um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, man, I don't think it's going to be uh, improving much. Um, where can people get hold of you, mate, and um, find your research and uh, read what you've been doing? Yeah, um, I'm pretty active on Twitter nowadays. Uh, I'm Cold War Crush there. Um, and I also have uh, the website, uh, thefoldagap.com. That's F-U-L-D-A-G-A-P, thefoldagap. <laughs> um, where uh, my colleague Arm Shabanian and I uh, periodically post, uh, you know, bits of research. We also um, have articles that help people out with uh, open source research, stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, still got the best handle on Twitter, Cold War Crush. Definitely um, check him out. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, of course. That was Blake Vincent, researcher, talking about the so-called ISIS-K group or the Islamic State in the Khorasan province in Afghanistan. Very interesting. Check out his site at thefoldagap.com. The F-U-L-D-A gap.com. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front and you want to support us and get more, go to patreon.com slash popularfront or you can go to popularfront.co slash support. This episode was sponsored by Oracle Coffee Shop in Portland, Oregon, USA. They're an independent coffee business selling only fair trade products. See them at 3875 South West Bond Avenue 97239. The episode was also sponsored by Grind Core House, a pair of independent coffee shops in Philadelphia, USA, one in South, one in West. Find them on social media at Grind Core House. The episode was also sponsored by Propagandopolis, an outlet selling and writing about historical conflict propaganda from around the world. Buy prints at propagandopolis.com. Use the promo code POPULARFRONT10 for 10% off. And there's also a range of Popular Front posters on there. If you go to the website propagandopolis.com, you'll see it on the header there. 
you want to follow us on social media, Instagram at popular.front, Twitter at popularfrontco, um, YouTube, youtube.com slash popularfront. That's where all our documentaries are. Um, we put the podcast episodes up there as well for the YouTube. Um, getting them all uploaded. It's a long process, but anyway. Um, if you want to follow me, um, it's just at Jake underscore Hanrahan, H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. Um, my website, jakehanrahan.com. Music in this episode, the intro was by Home and the outro was by Sam Black. Hear his music at samblackpf.com. Um, if you want to support us, like I said, go to patreon.com slash popular front. Thank you to the higher tier Patreons. They are Elise Middlefart, Jess Lewis, uh, David McManus, Joachim Williamson Holt, Yidoy Travis, sorry if I've pronounced that wrong, Tom Petrie, James Lyons, Leons, Kate, Lisa Milgram, Bradley Davies, Brendan Crave, Pete Hesher, RX, A. Nicole, Travis Lieberman, Cherry, Ben Marshall, Dallas Dunn, LD50 Seattle, MJ, Meredith Waters, Bethany Swoveland, Adam H, Larson8669, Karante, Bjorn Kirsten, Diamondstein, Michael O'Connor, Zach Picard, Todd Cravens, Nicholas Butter, Ron Swanson, JD, Jav, Ian Froese, James Cully, Tynan Daly, Ethan Fitzmadrid, Ed Coulthard, Mike Barone, Ben, Liam Williams, Chris Cusimano, Degenerate Zero Alpha, Giorgio Arani, DR, Trey Nance, Amy R, Rubicon, Frank Austin, Amelia Me, Nawaiz, Nate Van Dor, Christina Rivetti, Freya Northman, Ali Hunter, Moody Al Rashid, Bill Wilson, Andrew Hurley, Vida Provost, Brian McLaughlin, Tom Lochrin, Young Wasabi, Tony Bin, Adam Bergsnyder, JL, Stephen Davila, Anthony Kabarak, Dan Dunham, Fletcher, Chad Walker, Diana Govanek, Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did, Axel Iverson, Christopher Martin, Brian Sandercock, and Maurice Zumbul. Thank you all so much. They are the higher tier patrons. Like I said, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash popular front. There's loads extra for you there, and you help fund Popular Front. Thank you.